you have your bulletins. There's some announcements, I'm sure, in there. Again, you know, New Life and things like that. So just you know, take a look at your at your bulletins for anything going on. And uh, if you're still not in a life group, I encourage you to find one. Get get involved with one. We're about halfway done with the purpose driven life. Amen. So. It's good to be together. It's good to be going through this. Uh, we're at week four of the Purpose Driven Life. Um, we're answering that age-old question, in fact, what on earth am I here for? And I think we have some slides up there. I hope Marissa didn't leave because I'm going to have slides and scriptures and I don't know, we may have to have someone jump back there. That's a shame. Um, what on earth am I here for? And unless we find the answer to that question, life is going to be meaningless. In the long run, it's like running on a treadmill. Sure, your legs are moving fast but you're not getting anywhere. So to find the answer, what on earth are we here for? We have to look at the owner's manual. The Word of God is our owner's manual. God created us, so we want to find out what it actually says. And we find that as you read the Bible, as you read God's owner's manual, that God has a purpose for our lives. It's not random. We're not here by a random chance on this great big ball in the middle of space. The Bible says that you were created by God, and you were created for God. The Bible says that you matter to God. And that's what we discussed, if you remember, back in week one of the Purpose Driven Life. You matter to God. You're important to Him. In fact, our memory verse that we learned the first week was this. Okay? It's going to be right there. Isaiah 44.2. I am your creator, you were in my care even before you were born. Isaiah 44, 2. All right, now that one we should have the best because we've done that one so many times. So that's really good. After beginning to stand that, uh, after we begin to understand that, we need to remind ourselves that regularly. That's why we're memorizing that scripture. I am your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. We need to remind each other and be reminded that God is our creator and that he cares for us. Um, and so right now, I want you to look at your... Your, your neighbor, we're not going to make you repeat the verse, but, but look at your, ma- at your neighbor and tell them, you matter to God. Just find someone around you. You matter to God. And, and now, it's, now it's your job, if somebody just told you that, is to believe it. You know, right? I mean, it's easy to say things. It's easy to say things like, I'm going to start a diet next week. Man, that's so easy to say. I am going to start exercising. Wow, that was easy. Doing it is another thing. Believing something is a whole other thing. So you matter to God. We need to know that. So God God says that he's our creator and that we were in his care even before we were born. So God planned you to bring him pleasure. That was our first purpose. You were planned for God's pleasure. He not only loves you, listen to this, he actually likes you. God actually likes you. You make God smile. You make God smile. That's a wonderful thing to know. We learned that in week two. Bringing God pleasure is called worship. So we were created to worship God, to bring God pleasure. He wants to love you. He wants you to love him back. When we love God back, that's called worship. Our first purpose is to worship God, to bring him pleasure. You know, uh, God wants to be your friend. 
That might be interesting. God wants to be your friend. We can develop a friendship with God. How do we do that? There's a a number of ways, and this is what we went through in the first week, recapping some of this stuff. There's a lot of ways. One of the things we need to do is communicate with him. You can't have a friendship with someone unless you communicate with them. And we can do that at all the time and in all the places, right? You can do that anytime. A lot of us say, yeah, I could do that in my car. I can do that anytime. But what kind of a deep friendship is developed when you only do it when you're in the car? You know, I I tend to make phone calls from my car a lot. So I'll call people while I'm driving. But if that's the only time I talk to them, there's no real relationship given. In order to have a deep friendship, you need to focus on someone and spend time, focused time with them. So that's one of the ways we can become his friend, to have focused time. Um, We surrender our lives. That's another way of of bringing God pleasure. Um, When we surrender our hopes and our dreams to him. We learned that in memorizing our next scripture is Romans 6.13. Give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life. Romans 6.13. Right? So what does it say in Romans 16? 6.13. Give yourselves completely to God be- since you have been given new life. Romans 6.13. How, have you guys been memorizing these scriptures? Hopefully you're doing it. Keep reading these scriptures. Keep reading these scriptures. We're going to do it one more time. Romans 6.13. Give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life. Romans 6, 13. You've got new life from God. The one thing that we need to do is just give him our life back. And then finally, we learned briefly last week, um, but if you're doing your daily reading and attending a small group, um, you've understood that a little bit deeper this week. We've been spending a lot of time this week learning our second purpose, and that's this. You were formed for God's family. You were formed for God's family. God formed you so that you would become part of his family. The first step in becoming part of his family is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first step. See, everyone was created by God. Everyone was created by God. But not everyone is part of the family of God. Not everyone is one of God's children. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians 1.5 and in John 1.12 both. Ephesians 1.5 says this. God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And in John 1.12 it says this. But all who received Jesus Christ, to them, that is, to those who trust in his name, he is given the privilege of becoming children of God. Every, God created everyone, but not everyone is one of his children. You have to receive Jesus Christ to be called the child of God, to be part of the family of God. So once we become God's ch- child, he wants us to be part of his family. When you look around the room, if you did that this morning, you might realize that we are in one big family reunion. This is your family. In fact, the, the family of God is... is radically important radically important um in in many ways believe it or not i believe the family of god is is um more important than your natural family because you're going to spend all of eternity with the family of god you're going to spend all of eternity with the family of god that's pretty heavy everyone here who's called on jesus is your brother and your sister we all have weird people in our family, so you've got me, so I'm weird, and that's that works, right? We're family. We're part of the family of God, if we've called it. We're brothers and sisters. So um, 
what does family do? Family loves. We love. God wants us to love one another. He created you to love him, and he wants you to love one another as well. Listen to this. Mark 12, 30 says this. The greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The second commandment is, is equal, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus told us. The first one is that worship thing, love God. In those four areas, we're, we're the way that we're supposed to love, and we're supposed to love him with our thoughts, with our passions, with our abilities. We're supposed to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he desires, God desires that we would know that we belong together with other believers. I believe if you're a Christian and not part of the body of Christ, you're a spiritual orphan. You're God's child, but you're an orphan. You need to be part, brought in to be part of the family of God. We need to experience life together. He wants us to cultivate community together. And when we do that, we find out that we're going to hack one another off. Who's ever been mad at somebody in the church? You're going to get frustrated with them. You're going to have a disagreement with them. And so part of the process of becoming part of the family of God is learning to forgive. You have to learn how to forgive. That's part of the family of God. You, can, you know, it's, it's amazing the things you can overlook with your siblings that you cannot overlook with the brothers and sisters in, in Christ. Why? Well, I'm stuck with my family. Hey, you know what? You're stuck with the family of God, too. If you don't like me, you better get used to me. Otherwise, your first thousand years in heaven is going to be miserable because I'm going to be there, right? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. You might look around the room and say, oh, no, I'm going to be with them. No, we don't want to look around the room and do that. But, yes, we're going to be together because we're part of the family of God. We were formed for God's family. And the scripture we're memorizing for that is Ephesians 2.19. It's up on the screen. Listen to this. Well, let's read it together. Ephesians 2.19. You are members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Ephesians 2.19. You didn't say most other Christians. It says that you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Now we're going to do something. Okay? And I, this, this just always makes people nervous and stuff, but just get over it. Okay? You're going to find somebody who's close to you. Okay? And you're going to look at them, and one of you is going to start, and you're going to look right at them and tell them this. Not to show off how, how good you are. By the way, keep looking at the board because you're going to have to say this in just a minute. Get it all in there. You're going to look at somebody. You're going to look at somebody, and you're going to tell them exactly what this says. They're gonna, you're going to de declare it to them like it's just for them, and then they're going to declare it for you to you because this is true okay so find some right now look at them okay you ready okay and you're gonna say you're gonna say ephesians 2 19 says this here we go you are members of god's very own family and you belong in god's household with every other christian now now the person who just heard that says it back okay now you say well yeah well ephesians 2 19 tells me this <laughs> that you are members of God's very own household and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. And here you are. We're part of the family of God this morning. We're meeting together. We're having a great family, a family meeting. And, and, we're, and we're, we're learning to live in our purpose. All right? It's good. Give someone a high five. 
you've memorized some scriptures. Some of you, you have never memorized a scripture. You're working on getting the word. The Bible says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. You guys are struggling with sin. I want to encourage you. Hide the word of God in your heart. Read it. Memorize it. Get a hold of it. God wrote it not so we can put it on the shelf, not so we can put it on the coffee table and say, I have a Bible. He wants us to actually read the Bible and get it into our hearts, in our lives, and in our minds. Amen? So this morning we're going to learn our fourth memory verse and our third purpose. Our fourth memory verse, and it's going to be our discover our third purpose. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, who in here uh, ever thought about being a police officer? Raise your hand. When you were, when you were a little kid, you want to be a police officer. How about a fireman? And a fireman? How about any astronauts? Got any astronauts? Come on. Some of you wanted to be an astronaut. All right. Some of you wanted to be people like Marilyn Monroe or, you know, I mean, you know, you looked at somebody and said, I want to be them. Nowadays, a lot of young people would say, you know, I want to be like Chris Evans when I grow up. You know, I want to be like Chris Evans when I'm he's Captain America. Right? So we can, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Now, most of us, when we were little, had these dreams of becoming something and we didn't become it. And, and, of course, we can't become somebody else like Chris Evans or whoever it was that you maybe you wanted to be because God created you to be you. God actually has a purpose and a desire for you to be you, and he wants you to become. Now, he's, he's, he loves you, and he's concerned um, what you do for a living, but he's much more concerned with the purpose of your life, and that's to become like Christ. Our third purpose is that you were created to be, become like Christ. God wants you to be loved and to love God. That's worship. He wants us to love one another and be in relationship with other believers. That's called fellowship. And he wants us to become like Christ. That's discipleship. You were created to become like Christ. Listen, you weren't created to be a God. You weren't created to be a mini-God. You're not, weren't created to be a God. There's a lot of, we're not new age. We don't believe that you can become God or a God, but you are to become like God, which is simply this. God created you to become godly. He wants you to become godly, like Christ. He has five purposes for our life. We're learning the third one. Five reasons for creating you. He has five assignments, five missions, five purposes, five callings. And the third one is that God wants you to become like Christ. You were created to become like Christ. One of our uh, the theme verses for this whole series that we've been doing is Romans 8.28. And we looked at it a number of times. We're going to look at it again this morning. Romans 8.28 and 29 from the Bible says this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Remember, it's not all good, but God causes it all for the good. Who, and who are called, there's the word called, according to his purpose. There's that purpose, calling and purpose. Um, for them. Remember, calling and purpose go together. For God knew his people in advance. We've, we've been memorizing that. We know that. And he chose them to become like his son. Circle, if you've got your notes, circle that phrase. He chose them to become like his son. That's our third calling in life. Once you get into God's family, God wants you to grow up and become like your older brother, Jesus. Some of you, that, that doesn't sit well with. My older brother, Jesus. Is that okay? Well, listen, what does it say? Let's finish the reading the verse. 
so that his son, Jesus, would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. God wants you to become like Jesus, your older brother, who's the firstborn. See, Jesus, God wanted Jesus to come as a representation to be our brother and, and that he wants us to be like him, our brother Jesus. Now, and that's not, the Bible says that, so it's not that it's disrespectful. See, God is our father, but he also understands that, that we have this relationship. So write this down in your notes or if you've gotten there. My third calling in life is to become like Christ. Become like Christ. This morning, praise the Lord, I'm going to give you nine things, okay? Nine things to help us on our journey of becoming like Christ. The first one is the most important. The first one's not on your notes. So if you need to write this somewhere else, I didn't put it on the notes. I didn't actually know how to to, to write it down without taking up a whole page. So, so, So listen, put it in your thinker. And, and, and part of the reason that, that this first one is not in your notes is because this isn't a doing thing. It's not a doing thing. It's a being thing. Listen to this. On your own, in your own strength, you cannot become like Christ. You can only become like Christ if you have the Spirit of God living in you and if you yield and allow God through His Spirit to live in and through you. And this is critically important to understand. If you try on your own, you'll be working and working and working, and the only thing you'll be coming is frustrated. You'll become frustrated. You won't become like Christ if you just try to do it in your own strength. Christ was absolutely indwelt fully, fully, fully by the Holy Spirit. He was Spirit-led, and al- although He was man, He was God. Even Jesus said the Son can only do what He sees His Father doing. So becoming like Christ is far more spiritual than it is natural. It's a spiritual thing to become like Christ. Only by being indwelt and controlled by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of Christ, will we be like Christ. Listen, Christ is holy. You are not. Christ is holy. I am not. Except through His righteousness. See, unless I receive Christ's sacrifice for my sin I'm not holy but if I receive his sacrifice God, here's a fun word imputes imputes Christ's righteousness to me that means he credits it to us it's like Christ does the work the reward for the work is righteousness and holiness and Christ, God gives the righteousness that Christ earned to us, outside of that we cannot be holy I don't think I've gone, I know I've never gone a whole day without sinning. I don't think I've gone five minutes without sinning, unless I'm asleep. And even then, I'm not sure. (laughs) Amen? Look on the screen here. Philippians 3.9 says it this way. Not having, here it comes, there it is. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Righteousness comes from God and is by faith. It's not by works. It's not by actions. It's by faith in receiving what Christ did for us. That's where our righteousness comes from. So, so number one in becoming like Christ, you have to be a new creation. You have to be in Christ. Salvation purchased by Jesus' death on the cross, received. 
by you. See, Jesus did it, but unless you receive it, it's not yours. We have to receive his, his uh, death, his salvation, which was purchased by his death on the cross. We have to receive it as our only way to heaven and our only way to become like Christ. No other way. It can't be me who becomes like Christ, but it's Christ living in and through me. Galatians 2.20 says it like this. I was put to death on the cross with Christ, and I do not live anymore. It is Christ who lives in me. I still live in my body, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to save me. I was put to, the de- to death on the cross with Christ. I don't live anymore. That's the first part of becoming like Christ, is receiving that and allowing Christ to live in and through us. So after that, we're going to have eight, pa- we're gonna have eight principles here that we're going we're gonna to go through, and we'll go through them pretty quick. Um, and these are all, those will be on your notes. If you've got a pen, we'll fill in the blanks as we go along. Um, becoming like Christ it can be uh, con- compared to running a race. In fact, the Bible in five different passages compares the Christian life to running a race. And the Christian life is about becoming mature. So we're going to talk about running your marathon to maturity this morning. Now, we'll, we'll, it's important to understand that maturing in Christ, becoming like Christ, isn't a 50-yard dash it's a marathon. It's a marathon. And if we're going to run a marathon, the first thing we have to do is this. Simplify my life. If I want to run a marathon, I have to simplify my life. I need to clean out the clutter. I need to clean out my mind. I need to clean out my schedule. I need to clean up my relationships. I need to get rid of unnecessary baggage. If you're going to go run a long race, a marathon, you don't do it in a parka. Okay? You don't do it in a parka. In fact, if, you, if you're a runner or know anyone who's a runner, you find out that they have these you know, pretty short shorts. They're made of a really light material. They have this little tiny top, a little tank top that weighs nothing, and their shoes are like just a couple of ounces because they're trying to take off every weight and then they go and they run and they run. Hebrews 12.1 says this, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back and especially those sins, look at this, that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up and let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. Runners, don't run with weights we need to strip down. We need to, as Christians, get rid of things in our life like sin. You can't run the walk of faith, this, this, this race of faith with sin. That's one of the things that slows us down, that stops us, that trips us up. We need to take moral inventories and begin to take inventories and get rid of all of the sins that so easily entangle us. We also have to get rid of one of the weights that many people have on them is expectations from others to live a certain way. Listen, in the scripture that we just read, it says your particular race. God has a race for you. You don't have to live up to the expectations of other people. You have to live up to the expectations of God who called you to run your particular race. It's going to look different than other people's, but it's going to be biblical. Your race is your race. We have to refuse to run other people's race. Parents have a race for you to run. Sometimes siblings have a race for you to run. Girlfriends have a race for you to run. We have to run the particular race 
that God wants us to run. Number two, don't get impatient or in a hurry. Don't get impatient or in a hurry. When I was young, believe it or not, I used to run. And when I first started running, I know, right? When I first started running, I mean, I, mean, I was young and I just went out there. I'm going to run. And so I just started running. And I got to about a mile and about died because I was running all out. I was just running for it. And I got to uh, about a mile. I was in pretty good shape for, you know, and I just, I mean, so I ran at my, at my top for an hour and I, oh, and I started sucking wind and choking. See, we can't run a marathon without pacing ourselves. You got to pace yourself. It's a, well, so we don't want to get impatient. You're not going to just get out there. We need to have patience. Listen, champion runners know how to pace themselves. In fact, a good runner knows uh, how far they can sprint, and at the very end of the race, they time it just right, and then at the very end of the race, that's when they do their last sprint, as long as they can get across. But I've actually seen runners who tried to do that, and they miscalculated it, and they died just before the finish line because they started running all out just a little bit too early. It's a marathon. We need to pace ourselves. We need to have patience and not be in a hurry. Listen, Hebrews 12 says this, let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. There is no instant maturity in Christ. There's no magic pill. It takes time. When God wants to make something in a hurry, he makes a mushroom. It takes God about six hours to make a mushroom. It, it takes God about 60 years to make a really nice oak tree. I don't want to be a mushroom. I want to be a strong oak. Amen? Let me tell you this. You know how you spell maturity? T-I-M-E. It takes time to become mature. It takes time to be uh, mature. Number three, spend time focusing on Jesus every day. Number two is don't get impatient or be in a hurry. Number three, spend time focusing on Jesus every day. Do you know we become like those we spend the most time with? You begin to say the same things that they do. You begin to tell the same jokes that they do. Sometimes even your tone will change your mannerisms will change. You begin to co- you become like those you spend the most time with. I've looked at some married couples after they've been together for a long time. Sometimes they even start looking like each other. I mean, you actually kind of, there's like, you can tell they belong together. They kind of look the same. I've actually seen some people who began to look like their dog. So I you know. <laughs> So we won't go there too much. But you become like those we spend the most time with. Hebrews 12.2 says this. We do this, so running our race, by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. You can't become like Christ without spending time with Christ. You can't become like Jesus without spending time with Jesus. Look at the screen. Luke 22 says this. 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives to pray. Jesus had a spot that he went to as usual to spend time with God. 
It's important. Find that spot, that sacred place, that time that you spend time with God. Spend time with Jesus so that you can begin to become like him. Moses spent time in the tabernacle. And what happened to him? His face began to glow. Wouldn't it be awesome if we spent so much time with Jesus that we all just began to glow? Imagine how much money we would save with electricity, right? No, but, but I mean, if we could just glow with Jesus, we would make a difference in the world. We have to spend time. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, All of us have had the veil removed so that we can become mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, see, we can't do it on our own, as the Spirit works within us, we become more and more like Him and we reflect His glory even more. We spend time with Jesus and we begin to reflect glory. Spend time focusing, focusing on Jesus every day. It's amazing. If you're spending time with somebody, if you're with somebody and they smile, it's amazing how many of you smiled at me. Spend time with somebody and they have an emotion, you pick up on that emotion. Isn't that true? Spend time with somebody who's angry, you begin to just get angry. If you spend time with Jesus, you'll begin to pick up his emotions and his character traits and you'll become like Christ. This is that part in that scripture of uh, 2 Corinthians 3. It says we become more and more. It's sequential. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time, so don't be impatient. Don't be in a hurry. Spend time focusing on him knowing that maturity is going to take a while and we're going to go through the process. Number four. When life gets hard, remember the reward. When life gets hard, remember the reward. Life is hard. We go through trials and temptations and discouragements. And, and sometimes we, we wonder why we go through that. But listen, if it's God's goal to make you like Jesus... If it's God's goal, and it is, so I'm going to use the word since. Since God's goal is to make you like Jesus, he's going to allow you to go through the same things that Jesus went through. Oh, hallelujah. Since it's God's goal to make you like Jesus, he's going to allow you to go through the same things that Jesus went through. God never promised us a peachy keen, perfect, rosy, rosy life. Many people have walked away from God because they thought that was the promise. The Bible never promises that. It says, when you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. It didn't say you're not going to walk through the fire. It says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll be with you. We're going to walk through it. We're going to have the difficulties. And Jesus went through these things. And so in order to become like Christ, part of the process is that, that we're going to go through the same things. Was Jesus lonely? Yes, Jesus was lonely. Was Jesus ever rejected? Yes. Have you ever been rejected? Yes. Was he criticized? Uh Uh-huh. I've been criticized. You've been criticized. Have you ever been betrayed? Yes. You're in good company. So was Jesus. 
Jesus is going to allow us, God's going to allow us to go through these same things because through these processes, if we will turn to God, if we'll look to Him, if we'll spend time with Him during these processes, through that process, we will become like Christ. Don't be surprised. Problems are part of the becoming process. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3 says this, Jesus did not give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross. And he is now seated at the right side of God's throne. Think of what he went through, how he put up with so much hatred from sinners. So do not let yourselves become discouraged and give up. Isn't that a great version of that scripture? Don't let yourself be. He, Jesus had to look towards heaven himself so that he would go for the joy set before him endured the cross. We have to, for the joy that's set before us, endure this life. And then the scripture says, don't let yourselves become discouraged. And I went, wait a second. What? Become discouraged? Discouragement is a choice. Oh. I choose unwisely too often. I choose to be discouraged. I choose at times to let the circumstances of life discourage me, and we need to not choose discouragement. But we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes fixed on heaven and saying when, we, when it gets hard, remember the reward. First Peter says this, 5 verse 10. After you suffer for a short time, God, who gives all grace, will make everything right. He will make you strong and support you and keep you from falling. He called you to share in his glory in Christ, a glory that will continue forever. God doesn't promise an easy life on earth. He promises rewards in heaven. Keep our eyes and remember the reward. Look up on the screen. Romans eight seventeen says this. Since we are his children, we will share his treasures. For everything God gives to his son, Christ, is ours too. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Hey, if we get in our mind that we're going to suffer, it's going to be a lot easier. It's just going to be... Who's ever gone to, to work out or, or do something that they thought was going to be easy? It became hard. And they go, man, this is, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. But if they tell you, listen, this hike we're doing, we're doing it. We're going to do 10 miles. We're going to go to this place. We're going to go up. And it's, really, it's a really hard hike. But at the end, there's this amazing waterfall and this amazing area. You're like, okay, I can do this. You know the reward is great and the trail is hard. This week's memory verse in a different version is this. Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. It says, In all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's in your notes, I believe. Romans 8, 28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When life gets hard, remember the reward. God will work all things for the good. He will bring us home to heaven. Number five. How are we going to become like Christ? One of the greatest things we, we can do and we should all be doing is gather a team to run with you. Gather a team to run with you. Gather a team to run with me. Don't do this alone. Don't do it alone. Again, a lot of this can be compared to, to running, to working out these things. If, if you make a plan to work out and go to the gym and work out at 6 a.m., 
four days this week and nobody's there waiting for you and you're not doing it with anyone else, how many days will you go? You don't have to answer that because we don't want you to lie in church. The truth is, if you're going alone, you might not make it at all. Or one or two. Most of us won't go four times. But if you're going with someone, especially if you're picking them up, (laughs) you're going to be there. Go with a team. Don't do this alone. It's your race, but you need others to run it with you. There's a saying. It's in business. It's a proverb in many countries, and it goes. It's, it sounds a little different in each in each country and each. But it it's, it's goes like this: If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with others. Hebrews ten twenty four says, "Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds." Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another as you see the day approaching. We need to go with others. A lot of things happen when you're walking life together. One of the things that happens when you're together with other people is you're not afraid. Now, I'm 46 years old, and there are times... When I'm in my house alone, you get the right elements together. It's always nighttime. It's never daytime. Maybe there's wind, whatever. It's just the right elements. And I get this little fear that can come into me. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown man. And like sometimes I'm like, what was that? I have a dog. Thank God. Some of you are laughing because you know it's true. You're alone and you go, where's the dog? Where's the cat? Cats are horrible in these situations. You know why cats are horrible when you're afraid? They look more afraid. They have the same look. You don't know if they're looking at an axe murderer or a moth. But we're, we gather the dog because we're alone. And so it's like, it's, it, and, and isn't it wonderful? I mean, you can even be fighting with your spouse. But as long as they're in the house, you're good. Fear stops us from running the race. With others, it gives you courage. Don't run alone. Gather a team to run with me. When you belong to a safe group, it gives you courage to start the race. It gives you courage to continue on. It gives you courage to finish the race. Gather a team. Don't do this alone. Serve God with others. Be in relationship. Not not just a casual... Find people to be in a deep relationship with that you can share your heart. Six, remember God is cheering me at every stage. Remember, God is cheering me at every stage. You're running a race... God is actually cheering for you. When, if you're a parent, or if you've ever seen your children run in a race, they, they can start. When do you start cheering for them? Do you wait until they're at the finish line? You, as soon as they start running, you're cheering. Go! When they fall, you cheer louder. God is cheering you 
at every stage of the race. He's watching you. And, and when you fall, it's like when my kids race and they fall, I just start cussing at them, telling them what losers they are. You guys are like, you're a horrible... I would never do that. I would never do that. They fell. They're a kid. Oh, you can do it. Get up. Are you okay? You can, you can do it. God doesn't shame you when you fall. God doesn't shame us because we can only run as fast as we can run. I'm coaching basketball, third and fourth grade basketball. It's been a blast. It has really been a blast. To them, I'm like a basketball god. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean I'm just an amazing, wow, coach. They're third and fourth grade. I don't expect any of them to be able to slam dunk. I don't expect them to be able to dribble down, down the right side of the court, go through their legs and switch over and run over to the left side and make a three-point follow-away jumper. Why? Because they're third and fourth graders. We work on, on layups. And I say, okay, we're going to work on layups. And so they, they dribble down and, some of the, and they stop. <laughs> then they shoot. Inside, I'm like, okay, well, we're going to work on that. We work on that. We're going to try to do a fluid. You're going to dribble down, and you're going to, while you're in the air, we're going to try, and we work on that. And every time they don't do it, I yell at them and tell them what losers they are. No! No, I know that where each of my players are, and I got two really good players. We've lost one game, and we are doing really good. And, and I've got two players that are really good. I got a number of players who are kind of in this middle area. And then I've got one this poor kid. It's his first year he's ever played. And, and you know, he's, he's gotten much better than when he started. He knows which way we're supposed to go. <laughs> right? And I'm trying, and I'm not perfect. I try not to shame them for being where they're at. Guess what? I play the, the, the player who, who has, could cause us to lose as much as I play every other player on the team. Now, I've watched other coaches, and they, you know, they, they only put the best players out in these poor... No, no. Everyone's playing the same. We don't shame, and God doesn't either. Where are you in your walk with Christ? That's okay. Be there and grow. God won't shame you. Don't fake it. Don't lie. Don't wear a mask. Just be where you're at. Be in your team where you can confess that you're not as good as you're making out to be. When when we fake it, when we tell other people that we're better than we are, it can be dangerous. I, I like to ride motorcycles. If I don't tell people my speed, I'm a cruiser. I go at dirt bike riding. And I cruise, and I, you know, I like to climb some hills and do some rocks and stuff. But if I don't tell them where I'm at, they'll kill me. They're going to take me on some crazy runs that, that are just too hard for me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crash, and I'm going to burn. And I'm going to give up because... They expect too much of me. Be real. Be real with those around you. Say, you know, I'm struggling with this. 
You know, if, 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 if you're struggling in a certain sin, let's say you're, you're struggling with, with drinking, we're not going to put you as part of the witness team that goes to the bar to witness at the bar. Because we don't want you to end up with them. Right? Be real. God doesn't shame you where you're at. Number seven. Take every step with purpose. Take every step with purpose. 1 Corinthians 9 says this, All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I'm not like a boxer who misses his punches. Take every step with purpose. I'm working at this in my life. I'm working at, I'm working at, at all of these in my life. Some, some I find easier and some are harder. I am working to be purposeful in my decisions. Because you know what? I don't have a lot of time and energy to waste on doing things that aren't going to help my family. I don't have a lot of time and energy to do things that aren't going to help me in my walk with Christ and to become a better uh, Christian, to become a better father, to become a good husband, to, to do these things. I'm trying to become purposeful. Be purposeful in the things that you watch. Be purposeful in the things that you do, in the books that you read, in the food that you eat, the exercise that you do, in the people that you hang out with. Be purposeful. Are these people, are these things going to help you to get where God wants you to be, or are they going to slow you down? We're going to be purposeful people. God is calling us to be the light of the world, to be salt. If I don't turn this light off at the end of service, next Sunday, it's going to be burned out. At the end of the sermon, I have to be purposeful to remember to turn it off. If you allow your batteries to go and expend all your energy, when God needs you, when your family needs you, you'll have none. Be purposeful. Be purposeful. Take every step with purpose. Hebrews 12 says this, 12, verse 12, lift up your tired hands then and strengthen your trembling knees. Keep walking on straight paths so that your lame foot may not be disabled but instead be healed. Listen, when we're purposeful, we're going to take the straight path. We're going to take the crooked ways. We're going to be purposeful. We're going to get to where we're going. Don't look for shortcuts and quick fixes. That's not going to get us to where we want to go. Straight and narrow path head for the goal. Finally, listen. Remember what, I want you, I'm going to go back. Remember where we started. The, the The one's not on your notes. You can't do any of this without Christ inside of you. None of it. This isn't a do, do, do. It's be. And as we're being, Christ is going to help us to, to make these choices and he's going to empower us to do it. Number eight is this. Realize what I don't finish, God will. Realize what I don't finish, God will. He's, he's not going to shame you. He knows your limitations. He knows where you're at. He wants you to grow. But whatever we don't finish, God will. 
God is going to complete your character development one day. He is going to do it. And it's not going to happen until heaven. That's fine. That we, we will not be done. We will not be complete until we get to heaven. But that doesn't mean we quit running now. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure that God, who began the good work within you, will continue His work until it is finally finished. And on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again, what a day, what a day that will be. All your weaknesses, gone. All your failures, gone. Your faults, your blemishes, done away with. Your fears, your addictions, your frailties will all be changed into perfection on that day. We're going to run our race until that day. And on that day we'll be complete. And he's not going to shame any of us. 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, and we can't even imagine what we will be like when Christ returns. But we do know that when he comes, we will be like him. For we will see him as he really is. We're in a race, family. We're in a race. It's a marathon. We need to go with other people. We need to get rid of the weights. We need to run with purpose. We need to keep our eyes on the prize, which is heaven. And know that someday He's going to call us home. And I know that you may have struggled in this race. We all have. I know we, you may have stumbled in the race. We've all stumbled. You may have been sidelined. We all have. But it's time to get back in the race. Your race isn't over. The race isn't over yet. And in this church, in this family we call Christian Center, I want you to know that you're loved. You're loved by God and you're loved by the family. I want you to know that you belong. We belong to each other. We were formed for God's family, for God's purposes and I want you to know that you can become every one of you hear this you can become what God intends for you to become run with others find that small group who's going to run it with you and it takes a while to find the group of people you can really love, be loved by, be real with keep looking, keep working at it and I'll tell you there's a secret you're in a small group of 12, 15 people maybe, you're not going to have that close, close relationship where you can be brutally honest with all of them. You're just not, and that's okay. But within that group, hopefully there's going to be two or three or four people that you can really say, hey, this is really where I'm at. Pray with me. Encourage me. Don't do this alone. This church is a place... I want to be a place that people can come who want to become what God wants them to become. And as a pastor, I want to be committed to you to help you finish your race. And I want to be committed to you to start the race if you've never started it this morning. It's never too late. You're never too old. To start running again or to start running for the first time.
Make that day to day. Make that today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run my race. I'm going to take these weights and these things that have laid me, laid me back and held me back, and I'm going to get rid of them, and I'm going to run the course. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've done all the work for us to be saved, to be called the, your children. You want to live inside of us and you want to live through us, God. And yet you call us to run the race. You call us to be holy as you are holy. Well, I pray that today, if there's anyone in this room that has not started this race of, this, of salvation and the race of the, the Christian race, that right now you would minister their hearts and that they'd be, they'd be at a place that they would say something like, Dear Jesus, I want to start a race with you today. I want to follow you and serve you. I heard through this time in the service that you died for my sins so that I could have life forever. And there's a heaven that, that you've created for me that someday I can get to and I'll be perfected in that day. But I want to start my race and begin to run for you. And I want to get rid of the weights that hold me back. I don't, I'm not going to be impatient. I'm going to run. I'm going to become part of a, a family and a fellowship to where I can do it with other people. I start my race with you today. I thank you for salvation. Father, for those who've been on this race, wherever we're at, if we're on the sidelines temporarily, God, I pray that we would all say, God, I want to be back in the race. And I've been running with a parka for too long. I'm going to take this parka off because I'm not going to be held back because you have a purpose in my life to become like you. I want to become like you. I'm going to put away those things. I'm going to set my focus upon you, my sight on heaven, and I'm going to run. And I'm going to be purposeful. I'm going to run with others. I'm not going to hide and be a faker and a poser any longer. God, I thank you that you don't shame me. You receive me and you forgive me. I commit my life afresh to running the race before me, to becoming like Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray one of those prayers for the first time or rededicated, tell somebody. Tell somebody around you. If you just said, I just prayed that for the race prayer for the first time, you tell somebody. If you're recommitting to get in the race, you tell somebody close to you, I am going to run the race. And we'll see you guys in your, in your life groups this week. We'll see you Tuesday for that great night with the, the skits. Um, and that's this week. God bless you.